the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, God sends a heartbroken Samuel to confront Saul and his disobedience. But Saul continues to be stubborn and go his own way. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. 1 Samuel 15. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 it says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repents me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and cried unto the Lord all night. God was heartbroken over Saul. I am heartbroken that I have set up Saul to be king. Why? For he is turned back from following me. He had been following me, but now he has turned around and he has decided to go his own way. Well, this broke God's heart. It absolutely devastated Samuel. It says, and it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. The word grieved is a different word than repents. The word grieved here means to burn with anger. Samuel, when he first heard the news, I imagine his response was, Saul did what? He was livid. He was upset. He was burning with anger. Now, the scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, be angry and what? Don't sin, right? Be angry and sin not. That was a quote from the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 4, verse 4 with me. It's a song of David, and David in Psalm 4.4, he hears the words, be angry and do not sin, just like Ephesians 5.26 quotes. But then it goes on. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. When are we supposed to meditate within our heart, on our bed, and be still? When are we going to put our trust in him? When we're angry. When we're angry, that's what we have to do so we don't sin. It's fascinating because if you read the whole psalm, basically David's going, listen, the Lord came through for me. He came through for me. So all you people out there, he says, how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? How long are you going to just go do it your own way? Listen, be angry, he says, but don't sin. You can see something out there that's wrong and be angry about it, but what are you going to do now? What's the next step? That's where it's either right or wrong. And the only way we can ensure that we do that is to meditate within our heart on our bed, to be still, 
to commit to the Lord to do what's right and to put our trust in him. Samuel was angry at Saul for the repeated failures. He was angry for all the consequences the nation had already experienced because of his sin and would in the future experience because of it. But Samuel did not sin with that anger by taking action against Saul. He took that anger to the Lord and he prayed all night. He interceded for Saul all night long and it says he did it with tears streaming down his face. You know, when I read about this, I think of James chapter 1, where the verse 19, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, swift to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Why? For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then he goes on. Verses 21 and 22 of James chapter 1 tell us what to do instead of act on our wrath against others or their actions. He says, wherefore, you lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. I didn't do the wrong thing. Yeah, but you're about to. (laughs) That's the point. You're about to. You're angry. (laughs) You're about to do the wrong thing. Lay that aside and get in the word. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. And don't just hear it. Do it. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James 1, 21 and 22 tells us what to do instead of act on our wrath. It tells us to focus on ourselves first, to run to God's word, to remind ourselves of how we're supposed to behave. Because when we do that, we'll see that God tells us to love even our enemies and to pray for those who mistreat us, just like Samuel did for Saul. If you haven't prayed all night for somebody, when you're angry with them, you have no business confronting them yet. Well, Samuel did do that. And so having spent all night in prayer for Saul, it says that he left to go confront Saul. Verse 12, and when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, well, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place. And now he's gone about and he's passed on and gone to Gilgal. Basically, that's long and short for saying Saul's kind of taken the scenic route on the way home. But he didn't go home. He went all the way to Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is the place where Israel had a lot of big celebrations. So the idea here is Saul is taking the scenic route through Israel, going the roundabout way, likely parading his captured king and the spoils of war, the big victory parade. And then he heads to Gilgal for a big, massive victory celebration. And so Samuel heads there, verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul And Saul said unto him, as Samuel comes in to this big, huge celebration that's going on, Saul walks out and he's like, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He basically saying, he's saying, Samuel, come and be blessed with the rest of us. I obeyed the Lord and God has honored it. You almost want to start playing the Twilight Zone music. What world do you live in then, Saul? Why would Saul presume that God had blessed him when he clearly violated God's commands? Well, Saul's measuring stick is a wrong measuring stick. You see, remember the last time Saul disobeyed God, how did things go? Really bad, really bad. Soldiers were deserting him. The Philistines overran Israel and he was on the run from the Philistines for months. But this time he disobeyed the Lord. None of that happened. They won. Things are great. They're having a party. They're having a parade. God finally must be okay with my way of doing things is what he's thinking. Come and be blessed, brother. 
We did it. God's honoring us. Before we mock Saul's mindset as ludicrous, this mindset is all too common today. God has to be okay with what I'm doing. Look at how blessed my life is. I just got a promotion at work. My kid just got this scholarship. You know, this is going on. This is going on. Things are good. Certainly God can't be upset at me about this. He can't be displeased with this. I hear that frequently. But that is an improper way to measure whether I'm pleasing God or displeasing God. The only way to know if I'm pleasing God or not is if I'm doing what he says. It's the only way to know. And so Samuel brings up this inconsistency. He goes in verse 14, he says, what means then this bleeding of sheep in my ears and lowing of oxen, which I hear? If that's true, Samuel, that that God is honoring you and you've obeyed him, then why am I hearing all these animals making noises? And Saul said, oh, I didn't do that. They brought them from among the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord your God and the rest will be utterly destroyed. I didn't do that. They did that. The people did. Even if that's true, even if that's true, when a leader has the ability to stop people from doing evil and they do not, that leader is guilty of the evil. Leaders don't get the privilege of saying, not my fault, when they do nothing to stop evil from happening. And good leaders, when they fail, they don't blame others. They take responsibility for their actions or their inactions. Now, he mentions here, they spared the best, but it's for a good cause, to sacrifice unto the Lord. He says, notice, your God, not my God. Shows you how their, him and his relationship with the Lord has not been good. To sacrifice unto the Lord your God. This was the justification that Saul and the people used. Well, we're going to do this for good. It's for a good cause. It's for the Lord. I know it's the wrong thing, but it's for a good cause. I know it's not righteous, but it's a good policy. But that plan ignores God's clear command that everything the Amalekites owned was already devoted to the ban. That phrase means God's already taken it for himself. Taking it was like stealing from the Lord so you could give it back to him. That's absurd. (laughs) You might be grateful if someone returns something that they stole from you, but you're not going to look at it and go, oh, for me? What a gift. You would never do that. This was offensive to the Lord. The Lord wasn't happy with this. He wasn't pleased with this. And so Samuel Pull Saul aside, verse 16. Then Samuel said unto the Lord, stay. And I love that. It's very pleasant in the King James, but in the Hebrew, it's not as pleasant. It means stop talking. You know, stop talking. Every time you open your mouth, you're getting into more trouble. Stop talking, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And so Saul said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, in other words, you got the floor. I'll shut up. Verse 17. And Samuel said, When you were little in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? The word they're little means insignificant. It means of low status when you were to compare whatever that thing was to a similar kind. Little would be, you know, like if I had, well, if I had my Corolla or I had a Corvette. The Corolla's little. (laughs) The Corvette is not. (laughs) It would be considered an insignificant vehicle by comparison for its beauty and firepower and all that kind of jazz. 
So this idea here was you didn't see yourself as top of the line. You, you saw yourself as insignificant. That was when God made you king over Israel. And you know, it's interesting because he's actually quoting Saul's own words back to him. When Samuel told Saul that he was going to be king, Saul said this. He said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And is not my family the least of all the families of the tribes of Benjamin? Why do you speak to me this way? I'm nobody special. Those were Saul's own words. He says, but back then, back then, that's when God made you king over Israel. That was a good place to be when you were humble. Where did you get this idea that you were so important you didn't need to listen to the Lord anymore? That's what he's asking him. Where did you get this new idea that you're so important you didn't need to listen to the Lord anymore? Verse 18, and the Lord sent you on a journey, a mission. And he said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, why? Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? But you did fly upon the spoil and you did evil in the sight of the Lord. I have heard a lot of unbiblical things from people I considered to be decent Bible teachers in the last couple years. One of them is that policies are more important than character. Leaders in the Bible, I'm, you can believe that, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Leaders in the Bible are never evaluated by their policies. They are always evaluated by the response to God's commands in his word, Always. You read every single king and he'll say, such and such king reigned over Israel and he did that which was what? Either good or evil in the sight of the Lord. That's it. It doesn't say, oh, he made the nation prosperous. Oh, he built this thing. Oh, he did this. He had good, it doesn't say any of those things. It either says he did evil or he did good in the eyes of the Lord. That's it. And so because Saul didn't obey the Lord, he had done evil. No matter how prosperous the nation had become under his rule, and it had. When Saul first starts off, he's out, you know, as king. What's he doing when he gets the news that the uh, Midianites had invaded? He's out taking care of his own cattle. By the time we see him in, again in his hometown, he's in a palace. Things had changed. Israel had prospered. They had been victorious over their enemies. Their land had increased. The nation had become strong. And yet the Lord says that he did evil. Now, Samuel asks him, why? Why did you do this evil in the eyes of the Lord? And this would be a great opportunity for Saul to finally go, you know what, I blew it. To acknowledge his wrong and to repent, but sadly he does not. In verse 20, it says, and Saul said unto Samuel, yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. The phrase there, yes, it's really hard to translate in the Hebrew, but it, its biggest equivalent is, what? You've done evil in the eyes of the Lord, Saul. What? What are you talking about? That's the most close way I can make it an equivalent to his, yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. It's what? What are you talking about? We won, man. Why are you giving me such a hard time in the day we should be celebrating? We won. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I did go the way which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites without even realizing the contradiction that comes out of his own mouth. You can't utterly destroy if King Agag is here. But the people, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong, but you're, you're right about the people, Samuel. You're right. They should not have done that. The people, 
They took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things that should have been utterly destroyed. They did it, but they did it for a good reason. The sacrifice unto the Lord. I realize that's wrong now, though. They, they shouldn't have done that. I didn't do anything wrong, but they shouldn't have done that. That is some serious stubbornness on Saul's part. But again, it's very common today. I talk to many people who see the faults in everyone else, but have no clue that they are present in their own life. There's no self-examination. There's only self-deception. And that's why in James chapter 1, it tells us, be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest you deceive yourselves. That's what happens when you compromise or have incomplete obedience. You're actually rebelling against the Lord and you end up deceiving yourself. Saul really believes that taking Agag captive was right. He's looking at Samuel and he's just going, really, man? He's just one dude. He's far more used to me alive than dead. I can be a far better leader for God's people by taking him captive. Surely God understands that, Samuel. No, Saul. God does not understand that. And this prompts Samuel to utter one of the most famous sections in all of Scripture. In verses 22 and 23, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord? The obvious answer is no. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams because rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the voice, uh, the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Now, start off here. He asks the question, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Great question. What pleases God the most? Is it our songs? Is it our tithe? Is it our service? What pleases God the most? And Samuel says, behold, which means pay attention to this. It means we all, if you haven't heard anything I've said tonight, Samuel's telling you, pay attention to this. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. The best part you can give to God in an offering to hearken is better than that. What does it mean to obey? The word here, obey, means to believe information and then respond appropriately to it. To hearken means to accept information as true and respond to it. So what information am I to believe, accept as true, and respond correctly to? His commands, his word, right? That's the information. God is far more pleased when I do what his word commands me to do than any song I sing, service I do, or offering I give. Now, does that mean singing or serving or giving is not important? Not at all. That's not my point. The things we do at church are very important. But it's far more important to simply do what he says in his word each day. To simply do what he says in his word each day. Because there is a lot in our Bible that has nothing to do with the activities we do when we have church. A lot. Now, why is this so? Why is disobedience so bad? Why does it displease the Lord so much? Verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion means a state of disobedience, resistance, or opposition to the person in authority. So, a state of disobedience, resistance, or opposition to the Lord's authority in our lives, it's equivalent to witchcraft. 
Witchcraft here refers to divination. The pagans, they would use various means to determine the future through signs, through omens, whether it was the stars, whether it was through looking at the liver of a, a sacrificial animal. There was all sorts of ways that they would have these methods to determine the future. So God says resisting, disobeying him, opposing his authority in our lives is like trying to determine the future through signs or omens. How is rebellion like that? Well, when you go to a fortune teller to learn your future, you're letting someone else's ideas direct your life, right? Like they're telling you, oh, here's what I see in your future. You need to avoid, you know, anyone like this. And you need to take this opportunity that it's going to come up in the next few years or whatever. You're letting someone else's ideas guide your life, direct your life. So how is rebellion like witchcraft? Well, when I disobey the Lord, I'm putting my trust in my own ideas to direct my life. I'm the diviner. I'm the fortune teller. I'm saying, I know how the future will turn out if I do what you say, God, so I am not going to do what you tell me to do, or I'm going to modify what you tell me to do to get a better result. That's why it's the same. I'm the diviner. I'm the fortune teller. I'm the one looking at the liver, except the liver is just my own thought processes. The stars in the sky are just my own thought processes. It's no different. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, iniquity, it means a public idol. They would call it a wicked thing. That's what iniquity is in this context here. It's like this evil, abominable thing that's sitting out in the town square. Idolatry here refers to the teraphim. These would be like household idols you'd have. So in other words, they're both words that refer to idolatry. So stubbornness is like idolatry. What is stubbornness? Well, it's when we display arrogance by insisting on our own way. That's what Saul did here. He did this. He was stubborn by repeatedly justifying his actions. I did obey the Lord. I did obey the Lord. I did obey the Lord. When he clearly didn't. So how is insisting on my own way like worshiping another god? Well, again, because I'm the idol. I'm worshiping myself when I insist on my own way. I'm the idol. I'm the thing I'm bowing down to. See, Saul dressed up his actions in nice clothing, saying, it's just Agag. I killed everybody else. But underneath those clothes was an idol. No, my kingdom needs this guy. I can't kill him. I need him here. I need to use him. I have a better way. That wicked thing that's underneath is rejection of God's word, of God's commands. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you also from being king. The dictionary defines to reject as to dismiss as inadequate, inappropriate, or not to one's taste. And that's what it means to have a heart of rebellion. God's commands in the Bible aren't enough for me. They don't apply to my situation. They don't please me. I don't need them in my life. And so when I have a heart of rebellion, it means I modify God's commands or I outright ignore them. And when someone confronts me about it, I insist I've done nothing wrong. Listen, Saul wasn't a bad king because he had failures. We all have failures. Every leader has failures. If you want to nitpick a leader's failures, well, good luck finding a good leader because you'll never find one if that's going to be the case. We all have failures. The reason Saul was a bad king wasn't because of his failures. I would dare say that he had far less failures than David had. And yet God calls David a man after God's own heart. And he tells Saul that he was a man of idolatry and witchcraft. Why? Saul was a bad king because he had a heart of rebellion. Now, I don't put much stock in New Year's resolutions. 
But I think every day is a good day to resolve to reject a heart of rebellion, don't you say? <laughs> you know, to say, no, I don't want, that's not going to be me today. I think every day is a good day to humble myself before the Lord and to recommit myself to doing what his word says. I go out and sit on my front porch. I open my Bible and sit down with the Lord. And every time, I mean, sometimes, there are, very often it's the Lord, you know, he'll just have a comforting word for me because I need to be cheered up. I need to be comforted. I need to be encouraged. I need to be strengthened. I need to be reminded of his promises. So surely that happens. But very frequently, I would say more frequently than anything else, Lord says, hey, Will, can we talk about this? And that's when I have a choice. The Lord never, ever flogs me because he goes, hey, let's talk about this. You blew it. No. He says, hey, let's reason together about this. Come, let us reason together. I want to forgive you for this. I want to change you. I want to make you different. Will you bend the knee? Will you let me be king? Will you follow me? Will you deny yourself? That's the opposite of a heart of rebellion, right? That's a heart I want to have. Lord, I know that's true of my brothers and sisters out here, that that's their desire. They want to have a heart that's yielded to you, Lord. Not a heart that's stubborn, not a heart that rebels against you. So Lord, if there are areas that need to be pruned, we give you free reign. Have your way. Be that consuming fire, Lord, that just burns away the dross, that prunes away the dead branches that need to spring forth in new ways. Lord, have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.